Hello everyone, my name is Anton Meshkov and I'm one of the editors and creators of United Citizens of Europe and uh, tonight we're welcoming Hagene Gukasan. The topic of today's talk is not going to be easy. It's a conflict in Karabakh region which has been going on for 30 years now and uh, we will explain with Hegene um, and we will talk about how this conflict affects uh, people uh, in Armenia and how it can evolve further and that's basically going to be the outline of the of the talk. We're also going to talk about uh, propaganda on both sides and the big players that uh, also influence this, this conflict because obviously this conflict is not unnoticed by the big players of the political scene. Hagina, can you please uh, introduce yourself to our guests? Uh, well, thank you, first of all, for the invite and for uh, for having having this discussion. I, um, I, I think aside of what we have been doing um, a couple of days ago, we all became just an average uh, citizen who is really worried about the lives of of of, of civilians and soldiers. So, um, I'm, I'm I'm a person with an with an Armenian family, and I'm a, I'm a human being who is really worried about about war, and about the um, the way that the international uh, community is reacting. It as as you know as as some exchange of fires, some clashes and other infertile headlines that the media comes up with. So it's really sad to see that um, the, the death toll is, is beyond beyond 100 um, today already. It's really sad to see how the how this is interpreted in the international community. So much appreciated of having this conversation and then um, bringing the awareness to that. Thank yeah, you. and thank you so much for joining because I understand that in times like this it is it might be difficult, but uh, very important and necessary to voice uh, the opinion and voice the problems which occur, especially in the media, because uh, the media is is not always correct uh, to say the least. Um, so, um, as I've talked before, um, the Karabakh conflict is not new. It's not something that emerged a couple of days ago. Um, so we're not going to go much into the history of the region. It's very complicated and actually very beautiful as well and very, very complicated. So um, can you please tell, in your opinion, how this situation that emerges today, how is it different from what has happened before? Yes, I think co complicated is a very, um, very, very, very simple word to, to, to put the whole situation in the region, especially now. Um, well, I, I, I was really thinking from a perspective of a person who either didn't hear of a name Nagorno-Karabakh or always heard the name Nagorno-Karabakh together with uh, clashes, fights, etc. And uh, this, is, this is a region for some reason Armenians and Azerbaijanis are fighting, fighting for. So it's... Um, um, I was thinking, all right, if a European citizen wants to travel to Nagorno-Karabakh, which is extremely beautiful, by the way, we we had a hike just a couple of weeks ago in the mountains of Karabakh, extremely beautiful. So, okay, if the if the tourist wants to come to Nagorno-Karabakh, should you buy a ticket to Yerevan, should you buy a ticket to Baku, or should you buy a ticket to Stepanagert, which is actually a capital of uh, of the Republic of Nagorno-Karabakh? Like we have um, uh, Transnistria, we have South Ossia uh, republics that declare themselves and are mutually recognized 
but they are not recognized uh, by different subjects of international law. So these are uh, the, these are some gray areas in the, in the international law where uh, the average rules don't apply. Where you know, well, when where the UN Security Council asks to return to ceasefire, but no one cares. Where the European Court of Human Rights makes a decision um, on again on interim measures where you know, both sides should report to the European Court of Human Rights just a day ago uh, regarding the <clears throat> targeting the civilians etc but then it continues and we have more casualties today do you so, think this complication is due to the fact that it is still politically very hot or is it because it's unclear where the borders of the subjects are in this region that's that, that's actually very um, very very precise question. I um, I think the important thing to note note here is that uh, don't don't be mistaken. Nagorno it, it's not just a dispute over this um, piece of land Nagorno Karabakh between two nations. We have such thing as uh, ethnic conflicts, which I, I'm sure you have heard of Arab Israeli conflict, which is never ending. The same happens here. They get freezed and they get unfrozen. And uh, the wounds open up in two nations and uh, peace is never being an option because every generation brings a new war and every generation brings new wounds and um, the hate speech gets, gets deep rooted. So it's, uh, the, I think there are, two, we, there are two issues we're dealing with here. We have, a, we have an unresolved issue uh, with the situation around Nagorno-Karabakh. So the, the ultimate goal for the, for the Armenian people would be the recognition of uh, the right of the Republic of Nagorno-Karabakh to exist. And the ultimate goal for the Azerbaijan and Azerbaijan nation would be having Nagorno-Karabakh under the sovereign territory of Azerbaijan. Because both we have our claims uh, towards this territory and we both believe it's true. So I, I, I won't go into details of historic facts, etc. It's as you said, it's very complicated. But the status quo is right now is again, there are there are only Armenians living in Nagorno-Karabakh. And if you want to travel, you have to buy a you have to buy a ticket to Armenia and go. Otherwise, you can't reach from you can't reach from Baku there. And the uh, the saddest part over here is uh, the coexistence isn't reality anymore. So coexistence of the Armenian and Azerbaijani people in one community. For instance, my mom was born and raised and educated in Baku. She had friends. She attended their weddings. They were, they are, they are friends here until this day as well. And my dad lived in a community in Armenia where there were Azerbaijanis and he speaks fluent Azerbaijani. He understands them well. But for my generation, it's very tough to have a healthy human interaction with, with an Azerbaijani person because we grew up, we grew up under the hatred towards each other, and we grew up having having this fear of, you know, we have cases when um, uh, a, so a person in the training during the third country is being just murdered. So you are really worried about your um, existence these days. I mean. Um, it's, it's, it's really sad that from the perspective of human interaction and coexistence, it's, it's, um, it's beyond yeah, I think, that this isn't an option anymore. Yeah, I think it's important for the uh, people from outside of the region and not familiar so much with the topic. Um, what has changed between two generations is the administrative um, 
belonging of uh, the region because it used to be part of the huge Soviet Union and there was uh, the problem was out of question. But once the Soviet Union collapsed, there, the dispute between two former parts of the Soviet Union erupted over this region. That's why um, Hagina is talking about uh, the huge difference between the perception and human interaction. Yeah, you're right. You're 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 totally right. I think in the Soviets, the 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 friendship between the nations was kind of also forced. So the yeah, the, no no national clashes were were allowed, and there were there were many ethnic conflicts. I think frozen in the Soviet Union till these days. Um, yes, as you as you mentioned, after the collapse of Nagorno-Karabakh, there so there was the. Uh, the Armenians in Nagorno-Karabakh exercised their land of self-determination. Um, Azerbaijanis didn't agree with that, so the huge war erupted, uh, took lives of thousands of people, and it ended in ceasefire. That's one of the reasons that we still uh, can justify a war, because we don't have a peace treaty. In 1994, the ceasefire was agreed, but no peace agreement. And since then, the platform of um, peace negotiations and talks was the OSCE means group, uh, but it, it's uh, to be very uh, politically correct. It's quite an infertile platform as well because um, up to thirty years we have no results on the, the, the on the documented. So the war still can be justified. Um, that's I think that's one of the reasons why we are here. Yeah, there are no obligations that can be forced through this platform. It's very complicated to, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so when you have uh, when you have people worried about COVID all over the all around the world, and you are people glued to the TVs, watching the debates of Trump and Joe Biden, who cares? Who cares? You can have a war, and you can um, you can push your agenda forward. That's that's sadly what's happening. Yeah, and I think I think it's also important to understand that uh, Karabakh is kind of uh, a region uh, which contains uh, both um, defined uh, Azerbaijan territory, defined Armenian territory, and also there is uh, a proclaimed state of uh, Nagorno-Karabakh Republic, uh, independent republic, which is not recognized uh, yet. And all of those uh, three political subjects, they all intersect and they all have their own interests. That's why it's not just a two sides problem. There are many, many sides uh, to this problem as well. Yes, but Anton, I think um, it's the, 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 the problem is that it's, it's not just about a one piece of land, etc. It's about um, having, have, having a control of a whole Nagorno-Karabakh region. Of course, there are uh, there are zones of security around Nagorno-Karabakh. That's um, that, that's a simple logic to have the um, to have the security and military protection of the land. But um, this this situation can be solved just around some particular uh, pieces of land. So I think now the whole the whole region is on the table. And one the one more thing which is really troubling is that there are uh, military actions on the sovereign territory of, of Armenia. There, there is a military jet shot and um, it's, it's getting out of control. That's, uh, I, I think we'll, we'll go to the, to the part when we discuss the involvement of third parties. I'm trying to be as much neutral as I can, but understandably, um, understand, understandably I can't. Uh, third, third party involvement is, 
it's quite evident. Despite the denial, despite um, the big elephant in the room, the NATO member Turkey's activities is quite, quite clear. The neutrality of strategic partners of Armenia is also quite alarming. Um, it's yeah, that's uh, that's also a very um, weird situation that um, um, Russia, an ally of um, Armenia, uh, just said to cease the fire, uh, yeah, called to cease the fire uh, uh, for Armenia. But uh, uh, Turkey actually didn't do it. It actually um, uh, proclaimed that Armenia is uh, guilty of the beginning of the conflict. And that's, I guess, uh, only destabilized situation even more. Yes, I think uh, also thinking about the fact that Turkey could be one of the mediators in the peace process. But just think about it. One party is backing up another one, both with military equipments, with uh, support in international area and can be a mediator for it for peace talks. Uh, so this is the nowadays, nowadays hypocrisy we're dealing with. Um, so uh, since the very beginning, it has been, uh, I think it has been stated today by Emmanuel Macron as well, that the third party, especially Turkey, has no right to intervene. Um, it's, um, it, has a, it has a very huge and frightening potential of involving third parties and making this a stage for further tragic developments, uh, which is, to be honest, which is the number one uh, which should be the number one priority of the European, uh, just European average citizens understanding that that Armenia being an Eastern partner country to Europe, this brings closer and closer all this chaos happening in the Middle East to Europe. Um, and uh, but this this situation right now here is unpredictable. We have there after the ceasefire in 1994. So there were cases of de-escalation and the escalation of conflicts. We had a war in 2016 for four days, so people are used to that. You call people in Nagorno-Karabakh like, oh yeah, we hear some noises. People are used to living in a war state, but this one is unprecedented. This is a this is a huge large-scale war. So. Yeah, because uh, as I understand, the big difference with the previous uh, conflicts that happened before is that uh, the military action takes place along a huge area. It takes along a huge uh, whole uh, border of um, Azerbaijan territory, and also, yeah, it's it's it even exceeds this uh, this area. So that's why it is um, it is not an average escalation of the conflict. Yeah, exactly. And uh, if, if before we would have uh, engagement of, of, of drones, etc., but all the heavy artillery is working these days, it's, um, it's, it's as classic as it can be for a war. Um, but what is the, what is the mood uh, in Armenia right now? Uh, because uh, there was some uh, news about uh, um, a call for uh, military, uh, military activation, like people were called uh, to join the army, but um, what is the what is the mood for the average citizens? Mm, well, well, what can I say? Um, it was it's a martial law. The martial law is declared both in Armenia and both in Azerbaijan, and there is a mobilization of, of the people in reserve, and the volunteers are com coming from from abroad and inside. I think right now the, the it's a partial mobilization because. Um, uh, the, the system works that way, but 
you know, these things unite people despite all their political ideas and um, the, the, the disputes over internal issues. And, and I'm sure the same is happening maybe in the other country because the strong feeling, strong patriotism is growing these days. And there is, people are relying much on this. People who are for war, people who are waging this war, they heavily rely on patriotic feelings of people who go, they were, they were mass, um, mass gatherings, if, if we put it in a very, uh, again, politically correct way in Baku during the COVID times when they, we had an escalation in July in the border of Armenia and Azerbaijan, not in Karagorno-Karabakh, calling them to stop the quarantine, letting them go for a war. So this patriotism, this making Nagorno-Karabakh issue the number one on the agenda took us to a place when we marched for war during the pandemic. Um, so I guess the, going back to the equation, everybody, everybody is worried. Of course, everybody has a family in, Azerbaijan, uh, in, in Nagorno-Karabakh. Everybody's, um, everybody is worried for the future of the guys who are, um, who are forced to go to a war, but they, had, uh, they were great programmers. They were, uh, they, they were creating a momentum in Armenia, creating startups, bringing investment, and it was a huge boom of startup ecosystem these days. But it's, sadly enough, we, ha we are engaged in a war. It was forced upon us to be engaged in, in, in this, which, which makes no sense. Which yeah, at the same time, yeah, it kind of contradicts as well the Armenian policy of uh, investing a lot into startups. And uh, Armenia does a lot to attract uh, a lot of young people and make it a very um, fertile soil for the, especially for the tech startups, as far as I know. It is. And uh, um, it's really sad. It's really sad to say how, how a lot of... Um, uh, developments that have been um, going on again the momentum was created was stopped for a while but no one is but everybody believes that there are things to be done for the homeland everybody believes that if this is forced upon us we have to deal with this and go forward but again it's from the perspective of uh, humankind it's um, it's beyond that it's beyond understanding why this should be happening and why there is no there are no measures literally there are no measures to stop this do you think it is uh, also because um, international institutions, they didn't give enough value to what was going on this time, that they kind of assigned uh, this category that it's, well, it just happens sometimes in the Nagorno-Karabakh. It just happens. But uh, as we already said, it's not just an average uh, conflict. And even the fact that we're talking about uh, an average conflict being a norm is actually, is horrible because there's still people living there and no conflict should be a norm. Exactly. You, you list the new thread uh, thinking, oh, oh, clash is over there. Right. Good luck with that. So um, we, we always think it's going to pass, uh, uh, pa pass somewhere there. It's not going to touch us, but um, any uh, a war um, uh, that any, any action that costs a human life, but it's, it should be, it should be unacceptable and any aggression that leads to that, it should be, uh, targeted, it should be identified, and the measure should be taken. It should be sanctioned. I, um, I, I, I believe that the the the, the sheer idea that there are people and forces involved from Syria, the fighters, 
are involved and there are facts already confirming that the BBC, the Guardian and, and, and many other published the facts really that the fighters are fighting in Azerbaijan from Syria too. So this is creating a potential huge chaos that people, please, people are blindsided to. Um, again, um, I don't want to throw big words, but fighting terrorism and fighting for existence, this is the mood for Armenia. We realize that it's, it's a fight for existence. There is no alternative to that. That's why you'll see a mobilization of people having an understanding, okay, what systems we have to put in place if, if the support is needed. Um, everybody, everybody is ready to use the full of the resources what's needed to stop this for the, for the beginning. No one wants this to continue forever. No one wants to, this to escalate more and more. We just want, like, there are so many discussions, so many discussions since the very beginning, and it's so naive of how a population of 3 million people can start an aggression against a population with against 10 million people. and the, if you look at the budget and the military budget, three times more. And Armenians are the one, you know, benefiting from status quo. Um, like you said, there is a um, declared, self-declared Nagorno-Karabakh Republic populated with Armenians. As people leave, they create infrastructure, they create businesses, and it's, uh, it's economically, it's, it's quite tight with Armenians. So people in Armenia have businesses in Nagorno-Karabakh, and people come and go. So everyone is benefiting from status quo. And as well as well as uh, culturally, because lots of uh, people who live there, they are they belong to the Armenian Church as well. So and they speak Armenian language, which is also very important. I'm making it crystal clear. Yeah, ethnically, all of them are Armenians. They you have churches there from the fourth century. It's um, I think having this under question um, the right of the people living in Nagorno-Karabakh to live in Nagorno-Karabakh. It's um, it's, it's beyond acceptable. So there are cultural monuments there. There is history to be, uh, to, to come to confirm this fact. But all, all I'm saying is that people benefiting from status quo um, are Armenians. And why would we start a war to, to make our life, to make our lives hell? It's, it's beyond me to understand why would we. But also probably there's a, as you said, there's this tiredness of this question in the air all the time that people just want to solve it already and people are tired of constant escalations and exactly. from the fact that conflict is a norm, that it just happens there again, it's, it's not how it's supposed to be, it should be solved. Exactly, exactly, it should be solved once and for all, but... Uh, once and for all, for us, was always the table for negotiations. When, if you if you even look at the statements done by the highest ranking authorities in both countries, the solution through war uh, was never never stated um, by by either of countries. Not by uh, countries, I mean Nagorno-Karabakh and Republic of Armenia. There are many statements from from the other side that uh, it's either in Azerbaijan or war. So saying that it should be sold once and for all, it's a position that I think both we and they stand right now. And this is the danger. This is the danger that the, all the resources, all the might of resources is going to be used till the time uh, this bloodshed can be, can't be controlled anymore. Uh, but who do you think can be the, what do you think can be the platform for negotiations? Because obviously the previous one doesn't work, Turkey, cannot be the platform because it's biased after the claims um, that it's made after the escalation of the conflict. 
So what can be used as a as a platform? If there is or is is a platform even possible? That's I think that's a that's a million dollar question, Anto. Yeah. I, I honestly, I don't know, as a, as a educated diplomat and as a person who, who has been interacting with international institutions, I, I honestly think that the, the decisions are made in the least way. I don't believe in that, but I, I am a witness of the fact that the decision of the future in the region is, is being made in the better field very very sadly we had the we had the uh, the european court of human rights we had the un and osd failed just in in three quick days i don't know if you know something mightier than those may, maybe that can be a platform but again uh, the peacekeeping forces is also not an option the peacekeeping forces of third country why would they be over there yeah it might as well escalate it even further and be and make both sides unsusceptible to any international involvement even as a platform exactly it's already a very complicated um issue very complicated area you bring also a third force over there and you make it even even a bigger thing it's a snowball you'll never stop but do you think this uh as it's called the convenience state of affairs between russia and turkey do you think it can kind of cool the conflict down? Do you think it can help the negotiations and stop the Turkish involvement? Um, I, um, I'm, I, I can't make statements about that because this is, this is all looking in the un uncertain future. Again, having, having vague statements by, by the Russian government and having crystal, crystal clear position of Turkey being right there by by the side of the opponent we're fighting right now, so it's it's again it's unpredictable. I believe uh, I believe if this lasts lasts long, then the necessity of having mediators would um, would emerge. But right right now, I'm I'm confused to make any predictions. Seriously, you you ask me how is the situation in Armenia? How is the mood? I can answer, but making any political. Um, yeah, it is. It is very complicated. It's naive, and it's um, um, the, the, this this situation is unpredictable. If we to, if we have been to having this conversation in two thousand sixteen, we'll clearly have some ideas. All right, if if there is some negotiations between Turkey and Russia, or even France and and the United States could have had a say in this in two thousand sixteen, it was clearer. It was clearer, more or less. But right now, it's it, it's seriously unpredictable. Yeah, and I would say that uh, the I would say the lack of statements from Russia makes it even more confusing because even I, as Russian, I I don't hear much about uh, about the position of the country towards towards this, except for the call for the kind of a neutral call to cease the fire, which we already know does not work in the long term at all. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, unfortunately, that's the language of. Um, of saying we'll see what you do and we'll see when is the time to intervene so unfortunately that's the language uh, yeah and uh, speaking about the language uh, you also mentioned that um, a lot of media use incorrect and kind of decisive language uh, describing the conflict uh, can you elaborate on that uh, 
well, I think it was Sunday. It was Sunday morning when we all heard about the um, about what's happening there. There were there weren't much information published in media yet, so we heard from relatives and people, you know, calling and saying, "Hey, there are even uh, drones flying over over the capital, Stepanakert." So it's it's something that never happened before. So it got worrisome, and we. We saw the first headlines, I think, by the end of the day, saying, oh, there are some minor fights. There are exchange of fires and from both sides. And some of the, of course, there was a huge diplomacy and public diplomacy we're working on in different countries from both sides. And again, keeping in mind, the, keep, of course, having the, the factor of Armenian diaspora abroad and the Armenian lobby, but also keeping in mind the budget and all the possibilities of, 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 of the other country. You understand, it's going, um, there, there, there is a, it, the media is also a battlefield. So you have pro-Armenian articles, you have pro-Azerbaijan articles, etc. Now these days, uh, people are worried. Um, to be honest, my colleagues all over the world, I don't know, they have been texting, hey, are you okay? And so, so looks like the word has reached to the world, but in, in a sense, oh, something is happening over there. Uh, but again, what has media have to do in this? Um, at, uh, the triggers is beyond my understanding. I, um, I understand we cared about black lives. I understand we care about a lot of causes and it's a political issue and uh, taking a stand is really, it can be a trap uh, for some reason, but uh, I, it's beyond my understanding why people don't stop aggression, don't have calls for stopping aggression. Um, yeah, there's not there's not much so far done, and uh, yeah, it's it's very confusing. And also, I think uh, the geography is not very clear sometimes because uh, I've seen you posted that um, the ceasefire that happened, the the, the furthest bombs uh, actually reached, uh, it's like two hours drive on the car from the capital of Armenia, from Yerevan. Exactly. Yeah, this is this is the Cal JC. Uh, all day because when I'm not home, when I'm home, I'm sorry, and and tweet about everything. And if I drive right two hours or even one hour and a half, I'll reach a call, city called Vartenis, which is right on the border with Nagorno-Karabakh. I will, I will get, um, I will get under fire. We had a civilian shot. We had uh, we we had a, a Turkish F-16 jet. Um, hitting the Armenian jet and the pilot is dead right over there on the territory of Republic of Armenia, one hour away where I sat, stand and sit right now. So there, there have been attempts even to attack the rail, uh, the railroads, the main railroad road that carries the, the metal ores from the gold mine of Armenia, which is one of the main sources of the income. Um, the, the target was a railroad that has nothing to do with the military supplies and it's just a railroad for the, for the metal ores. So th this is beyond serious. This is beyond serious. Everybody's, uh, the, the sites are targeting infrastructures, trying to um, spread fake news. We would receive, there, there, there are fake news in, in all the medias, but the dis uh, differences, all, all the social, social media is easily acceptable in, in, in Armenia. So nothing is banned, although it's a martial law. All the social media in Azerbaijan is closed. Um, the Twitter was open for a while and then it closed again. So people are really worried about the information that goes out and it should be tailored and it's understandable, but 
speaking about freedom of media, speaking about uh, shedding light on what's happening, there are no international journalists allowed to go to Azerbaijan. There is no such thing in Armenia. But right after the escalation started, a Turkish journalist was on live um, showing what's really happening real time on it. So uh, these are factors to, to, to be considered and to be worried about. I'm not here to say we are right, they are wrong, uh, etc. There are facts to think about. But the approach is clearly very different of two countries. And it, I mean, it allows for some conclusions, I think. Uh, the, the approach is different, the facts are different. And, uh, and unfortunately, this, this is what's not um, highlighted in the, in the international community. That has, been, that has been the main concern of understanding we're fighting two countries, we're fighting Turkey over there. And if you look at the, uh, the, the map of where Armenia is, and you guys, you guys are lucky in Europe, you can travel anywhere without, and without more border checks. Even with visa and even border checks, I can go to either of my Western neighbor or my Eastern. The Eastern never lets me, even if I have, let's say a Swedish passport, but if I have a Yanni in the end of my surname, I simply can't enter. And Turkey, a third country, they, they say that they'll open the border with us when we recognize that, that Nagorno-Karabakh is part of Azerbaijan. So they have this precondition of opening the border with Armenia, aiming to have an economic uh, blockade. It's, it's really tough, but um, it, it's beyond tough, but we have managed to survive for, for this long, and I think we'll, we'll manage to survive for more. Yeah, the pressure, the pressure is very long. I think even the, the infrastructure in between Armenia and Turkey, despite, despite the, the border being very long, is, is not very developed. How many, are there like one bridge uh, only between two countries? Something, something like that? I have, I, have, I have no idea, but even if there was a bridge, we're not allowed to cross that bridge. Yeah. Even, even there, there was a bridge, it's just unnecessary. Um, infrastructure over there unfortunately yeah it is it is very tough from the inside and it is also very sad because armenia is a beautiful country and a beautiful culture as well uh, much underappreciated i think especially here in europe but what do you think if uh, if an average european would would like to get some more or less objective news uh, not not like politically colored where where should we go where should we look um it's um it's it, it's 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 really tough to say there there are articles that have unbiased like balanced or um, articles we um we can share maybe um after this if if, if this allows to have to have some links but there are uh, the, the the guardian has and uh, the guardian has been reporting both on uh, why this has started and both on the jihadist movements uh, through Ankara to Azerbaijan. I think they have been posed by Al Jazeera as well. So, uh, and Reuters and also Reuters, they had recent articles recently on, on again, the, the, the most important thing I want to stress is the movement of the terrorists through the territory of Turkey and reaching to Azerbaijan. That's number one, right? Yeah, the, it's, um, it's a big geopolitical game if you think about it. There should be, there, what's happening in Armenia is happening, right? It, it's, the events are mirroring. If you look in Twitter, um, we, have, we have 
I don't know, let's say we have posts about, oh, people are gathering to donate blood over there. And you'll see people, civilians who are worried about their brothers and sisters and they're donating. So th this is a, this, these are worries of two um, nations who have suffered enough. And you'll see events are mirroring each other. But I can't understand one thing that can be mirrored if when there are facts um, already proven that the jihadists are moving to Azerbaijan. And there is an attempt to show that there are Kurdish terrorists fighting from Armenia, but this is a clear attempt to cause a casus belli for Turkey to enter in a war to fight the, the Kurdish terrorism. This can't, this can't be acceptable. So it's- um, Yeah, and yet no measures are taken. Yeah, it was very, very sad. Um, well, I don't think there's a, there's a positive note to end this. Um, I just really hope that uh, the, the conflict is resolved soon and not just escalated uh, for a further escalation again. Well, I'm, 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 I'm sure, um, I, I'm sure we'll have a chance to, to, uh, to see how you organize beautiful tours, and I, I really, I really enjoyed how you were um, explaining Sevan to the summer camp kids in Armenia. And I think there are so many beautiful churches and monasteries that you can also have a have a great tour, including in um, in Artsakh in Nagorno-Karabakh. So I, I do believe there would be uh, nicer conversations than them. Yeah, definitely. I really hope so. And I really hope so that many people will have an opportunity to visit a peaceful and actually very beautiful. I have I had some friends who visited um, Karabakh a year ago um, from Yerevan and I mean international friends, not just Armenians, and they were all like very amazed, not only by the nature and the culture, but also by how kind and welcoming people are, which I think definitely says that they deserve, uh, as any human beings, peace and uh, respect towards their opinion. Yeah, I I wish you a safety in this very uncertain and dangerous time. Thank you. Andrew. Thank thank, thank for... you so much for for speaking out and for uh, for voicing the worrisome uh, the worries and everything. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you, Anton. Thank you for having this conversation. Thank you. Have a good have a good evening. You too. Bye. Thank you everyone for listening. I hope you enjoyed our episode. Um, make sure you follow us, you rate us five stars on Apple Podcast. And make sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and our Twitter. You can find us as United Citizens of Europe. See you next week.